we're going to be studying today on our fourth session of how to study the Bible. Is that a little hot? Okay. Let's uh, pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for all that you have blessed us with. Uh, we pray that you would uh, give us wisdom and direction as we seek to understand and um, apply your word to our lives. And we praise you for all the ways that you um, help us do that by your spirit and through uh, things that we can understand that make it, the scripture more clear. And we just pray that that would, uh, that even today we would leave here with just some nugget that might help us in the future in Christ's name. So, so as we get started, we're just going to do a quick review. Uh, inductive Bible study, uh, if you were to think in terms of that's where we started. We spent the first two weeks on that. And when someone is trying to uh, help you grasp that, I think it's, uh, they, they typically will, will frame it in this way. Uh, there are three steps, observation, interpretation, application. Observation, what does the text say? Interpretation, what does the text mean? application, how does it apply to my life, or how does it apply? So that's, that's generally a way that people will, will do that, and, it, and that's really, really helpful. Uh, we talked about, like, if you spend a lot of time in observation, then interpretation becomes easier, and then application becomes accurate, you might say. I mean, that just, it kind of moves in that way. Some people want to rush the process, and as a result, you know, it, it hinders their ability um, greatly. So you can go back and listen to those if you haven't. The other thing is, last week we looked at um, some principles or lenses that help us interpret uh, the Old and the New Testament. We talked about context. We talked about the canon, which is like the meta-narrative where you're starting uh, from like creation and you go all the way to the new creation it's helpful for you to understand or you could say creation, fall, redemption new creation and that's kind of running through your head as you're looking at the text we also said covenant is important so God's covenant with his people is extremely important in understanding his plan for the ages and it's progressively revealed and finally, just, or, or, well, let's say thirdly, we, we would say, like, maybe you could even go a little step further and say kingdom through covenant. And that is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And then you're saying, where in, in the particular covenant and how does that fit together? And then uh, finally, just something of saying Christ's person and work, he is the, the promises that were made in the Old Testament they were kept in him. All of, the, all of the scriptures and all the promises of scripture find their yes and amen in Christ. And so we, we want to keep those lenses um, with us at all times so that we're looking at uh, the scripture um, clearly. This week we're looking at genre. And uh, one, uh, uh, this, this author noted like the anat it's the anatomy of the Bible. Um, and you think in terms of like going to a diagnostic clinic when they're looking over your, your, your body, the different aspects or parts of your body to understand maybe why you feel bad 
So basically, the, you have the body of Scripture, and then there are different parts of it. And so someone has to diagnose it based upon kind of, they know these kind of general things, and then there's specific areas, and so that's how they kind of go through diagnosing you. And so when we think of genre, uh, it's defined this way. It's a way of classifying something according to its type or style rather than its specific content or storyline. Although sometimes that's going to be, I mean, the content and storyline will be uh, a part of the way that genre is portrayed. It's just the type or style rather than its specific content or storyline. So the first time, I remember the first time I, I had like a, a iPod and it talked about the genre of music, you know, and I was like, mm, man, I don't really, you know, I had to think about it for a moment. I didn't use that word or heavy metal, which I didn't have a ton of heavy metal, um, hip hop, rock, pop. And so we're, when we're thinking about that and we think in terms of genre, that's something we understand. I mean, th those are just legitimate things. When you're looking at literature uh, or you're looking at, at music or, or whatever, there are different genres of, um, of the Scripture. And it really, the Scripture, e even the Old Testament, um, it was broken down in that way where you have, Jesus talked about this in Luke 24, 44, the like he speaks of three genres, poetry uh, or wisdom, prophecy, and then in the way he talks about it, it's um, Moses, where it's, it's kind of the historical narrative. And so you have the history, the prophecy, and the wisdom. And so he's saying like, hey, these, are, these, are the, these encompass the Old Testament. And they are different um, genres, I guess you could say. And then you would say, in the book of Luke is its own genre. So this is not something odd in the Scripture. It's very, actually very clear and structured in that way. And we'll see that in the New Testament also. Um, now what are some problems we might run into if we don't consider genre as we read our Bibles? Um, if you're not thinking about that, uh, it impacts the way you do read your Bible. But you, you can think in terms of I mean, something that really always kind of has come clear to me is uh, uh, the, the proverb, train up a child in the way that they should go, and in the end they will not depart from it, or, or something like that. If someone takes that proverbial statement and says, every time you train up a child properly, they will, they will turn out this way. Or if you judge people this way, look at how their kids turned out. They must not have raised them in the Lord. You say, proverbially, if you put a seed in the ground, it will come up a plant. That's a proverbial statement. But to say every time is to not take into account a drought or a flood or some disease. You see? So proverbial, that's very important. We'll talk about that a little bit later on how some of that will work out. and You can kind of put that together. Uh, what are biblical genres? You can see in your handout, I believe, um, kind of the, these overarching uh, uh, genres. And so you have um, multiple here, but you have the historical slash law narrative, which is a large portion of uh, the Old Testament. You have the wisdom 
literature. Um, you could probably say, yeah, well, you could do it like as Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Sometimes people would add um, wisdom and poetry together and just call it wisdom. Uh, and then you have prophecy, which again, you'll see in here like major prophets and minor prophets, the major prophets being the longer prophetic books, minor, the, the smaller. You have apocalyptic. We would say that Daniel is one that has seven through, chapters 7 through 13 are more apocalyptic in the book uh, of Daniel. Um, but, but either way, you know, you have this apocalyptic kind of language, which is kind of like fantastical images that allow you to kind of understand uh, a, a, a big truths, you could say. Um, then you have the Gospels and then epistles. So we, we can, um, you know, we'll talk about the, each one. But I just, it, that's important to kind of help you as you're moving through uh, your study. It, it, it will help you as, you, as you're moving forward. So um, we'll start and just kind of think in terms of well, just, let's just say this one thing. There are many genres in one storyline. So again, like you could say, there's one body in multiple systems within that body, kind of. That might be a way to kind of help you think about that in, in, the, in those ways. But many genres, one storyline. So let's look at just kind of narratives and histories here. Um, when you're looking at those and thinking about those, uh, Christianity is all about things that happened in real life, about real people, real historical events of the people of God, how everything developed. Uh, not every single thing is in there. Certainly there's a whittling down, but that's kind of what you see. A lot of narrative, especially as we get started in uh, the Old Testament. There are three primary um, events in the Scriptures. The, the Exodus from Egypt, the exile in Babylon, and the inauguration of the church. Those are three major kind of overarching events that will be brought up uh, again and again. And so, uh, in the inauguration of the church would be tied to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and Him ushering in this new covenant that will um, bring about uh, a new people that will come out of that as they follow uh, Jesus. So uh, again, just you have to think in terms of that. Just stories are really big, and understanding how to read stories is important. Like it, it's um, you're you are looking for okay, what's going on? They, they kind of lay out the setting, and sometimes you have to kind of think about the big story and then come down to the smaller story. And what you're doing is you're reading that and you're watching the climax. It comes to this place and you see the resolution. And you're just reading the story the way that you read stories. And for some of you, uh, you may say, when I read a story, for instance, Anna and I always discuss this. If I'm reading fiction, I don't see it in my head as much. Which she said, everybody sees it in their head. I was like, no, they don't all see it in their head. Some people will read that and they can watch that story unfold and it's very vivid. Some of us lack imagination and it's just not there. Like she'll read a book, watch the movie and be like, the movie, did, they didn't do what I th was thinking. I was like, what, what does that even mean? Like I wasn't even thinking about that. But anyway, 
when you're doing that, you're just thinking about those stories and, and you're allowing yourself to follow the storyline so that you can see a lot of trouble when they're reading a narrative of focusing in on some random thing in the text and being like, wonder what that means. And you're like, is that the main point? And they're like, no. And be like, then don't worry about it. You know, I mean, sometimes you have to say that. Like, it's great that you have these odd questions, but throw those questions away and ask yourself, what's this story about? What's the point? And then allow some of that other, you know, stuff that just odd things to like be tossed aside so that you can get at the heart of what's going on. Then you go to kind of wisdom and poetic writings. Um, and when you're looking at that, you're thinking of uh, the poetry of the Bible. You could say something of like Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Again, people often call it wisdom literature. Uh, that may be the, 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 maybe the best way to say that. But, but I think it's just important when you're thinking about wisdom literature, it, it's talking about these essential kind of, there, there's essential instructions for living a, a successful life. It just get, gives you those. It's like some basic kind of instructions. And sometimes for somebody like me, where I like to read a book and feel like I am tracing an argument, at some level, or it doesn't have to be an argument like in the letters of Paul, but rather like just some structure or order. When I read something like Proverbs, I'm just like, you know, what am I supposed to do with this, you know? Or when I, but when I read Job, like you're watching the story unfold, and it's a little bit easier for me. But sometimes wisdom literature is, is difficult because I'm like, I think like a teacher, I think, how in the world would you teach that? You know, like, how are you going to build that? You know, it, that's tough for me. But I think it's just, it, but, but they're, they're built to help you live the Christian life or to live a life to the glory of God and the good of others. So proverbially, uh, you'll have these statements. And again, and I, you love the statements. And God gave them to us. Welfare, happiness. It's a way to live the good life. It's not necessarily saying it's the easiest life. But it's the way to, the, to a good life. For instance, in the Proverbs, it will talk about work and say that, like, act like the ant. Well, that's a good thing. What does an ant do? He just works away. And he keeps doing whatever he's, uh, you know, has for that day. And he doesn't uh, cease. He just moves forward, he, you know, or whatever. There will be little statements like that. Um, then you have stuff that's like speculative wisdom which would be uh, found, you'll see this in Ecclesiastes, where uh, the, the author might be speaking to himself. And he is considering um, the greater problems of humanity, which is kind of like the issues of meaning, uh, the meaning of existence. He's considering all those things. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, he's kind of like, you could argue like he took the Proverbs in some ways, I mean, there's certainly things where he went astray, but he lived the good life, and then he's looking at all of it and said, what does all this mean under, under the sun? In a way, though, he's almost taken the equation of God out of it, and he's looking at it as a man unable to see God, just looking at the world, and he's like, man, and so he's thinking about existence, that kind of thing. So it's... Um, you have the proverbial wisdom where it's clearly like do this 
and then speculative wisdom, which is trying to address and think through uh, the issues of life and make sense of them, um, which ultimately, what's so wonderful about something like Ecclesiastes is he presents life under the sun and leaves you saying like, then what are we going to do? And then at the end, he says, brings you back um, to, he, he like brings, he almost sets you away, you know, so it, it's a beautiful thing. So you read that and you understand what it is. It's wisdom literature. So if you read wisdom literature in the same way that you might read something else, it could really mess you up. Or if you're like trying to read it for uh, like Ecclesiastes and being like, oh, this is a biography of a man. And you're like bouncing all around. And at the end, you're like your head spinning. You're like, that, that's just dumb because it's wisdom literature. So it, it helps you to kind of think through in that way. Um, one of the things that they note here is the starting point for an understanding of Old Testament wisdom literature is Proverbs. Because... The wisdom of Proverbs concerns morality, uh, the knowledge of how to live properly. It has a theological foundation with the start of it, which is a reverence for God. And so it's laying all of those things out. And then the others come alongside Ecclesiastes, test that wisdom through the lens of a skeptic kind of. And Job tests that wisdom um, through his um, awful suffering. So uh, it's, it's good to kind of put those together and read that genre together. It's kind of like sometimes, you, you, well, when you're reading the wisdom literature, you might say, it's good for you to have a healthy dose of the whole and then go down full for instant on the, the individual things. So that, that's helpful for any of us, I think. Um, then we go to the poetic literature which uh, is, um, you see, um, primarily we, we might focus in on the Psalms, but there are others. Uh, but we're going to look at each, each time that you read something like a Psalm, you're, you are looking because you're thinking, okay, people were singing these things. And, and there is uh, this feel of like, there, there's a lot of metaphors and figures and hyperbole and all of that stuff is, is present there. And so you're trying to think kind of like, how did they write those things back then? I mean, sometimes we write that way today, uh, but, but Hebrew poetry is distinct. And so you're reading it uh, in a distinct way. There, there's um, kind of a, a rhythm that you might see as you read it. Uh, it you should see, really. Uh, and, and the way they categorize this is this way. One is like a synonymous parallelism, which is this. The first part of the verse is repeated in the second part. And this would be an example, Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above his handiwork. It's like he says, it's parallel statements where what it does is allow you to look at it twice. And that's helpful. It's almost like he's restating what he's already said, but... Both of them may give you a word picture that kind of sends your mind to soaring. Another would be an antithetic parallelism, which is the first part of the verse is contrasted with its opposite. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. And you've seen that. You read the Psalms, you know, oftentimes, 
And I think it was Psalm 37 where the wicked and the, or the righteous and the wicked are just constantly, like there's these contrasting statements. When you're reading that, you're like, good night. I could sit down and make a list of what I learned about the righteous, a list of what I learned about the wicked, and, and, and just get some clarity and, and just set my life on the side of the righteous and not among the wicked. You know, that would be uh, very important, I think, for you to kind of think in those terms. Um, the synthetic parallelism is, so, is developed and completed in the following uh, lines. So, Proverbs, uh, sorry, Psalm 3, 5, and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And so you're just kind of seeing this one thought and it continues to be developed as you're moving along. So we kind of, uh, we talked about the history uh, where or narratives where, where there's long periods of stories unfolding. What I will find sometimes is like, yeah, there will be, of course, like we said, like key phrases, key people, key places, and you're kind of putting that together as you're moving along. And then um, we, we, we moved on and we said, okay, there's that. There's the history kind of things. There's also uh, what you would call the wisdom writings. And, and those are helpful. Um, in the scriptures, there are, in the New Testament, we have the Gospels and Acts. And I, I think I said this um, uh, last week, but when you read the Gospels, you, you want to read them, I think, as a message, and what I, because sometimes I think people have read it and tried to just say, let's just get the most clear historical account of Jesus that we possibly can. A gospel at the heart of it is a message. It's, it's like a, a, and then my life being an evangelist and traveled the world. And then 30 years in, I sat down and I wrote out a message that would allow you to understand who Jesus is to us. And, and really, at the end, ultimately, or, or through it all, you're kind of calling you to respond. Not giving you this so that you get a lot of information. It's a clarion call respond every time you read it it's it's calling you to respond and it will show you different responses like Matthew chapters 1 through 10 are kind of like the offer of Jesus in 11 through 28 the rejection so it's calling you and then along the way there's all of these Gentiles believing it's a redefinition of the people of God based on how they respond to Jesus. You read a gospel and say, it is not just me putting the pieces together and trying to figure out like how far Jesus walked from this place to that place. So you can win Bible trivia. You know, but anyway, think about that, okay? There is, though, this... Um, When you are reading it too, I think it's just important to note, like you're not, you're not just saying, I, 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 you don't sit down and say, I know this is going to be a chronological account. It may or may not be. 
the purpose of the writer is not to necessarily start from day one and go all the way to or year one to year thirty three. It's just not. It's just not the you know way in which it's written as a message. Um, there's also some harmony there where people would, and and this can be good and it can be very dangerous, I think. But you know, people will say. We think of like Matthew, Mark, and Luke as synoptics because there's a lot of overlap between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then in John, it's, uh, it's different. It doesn't fit that model. Uh, I, I thought this was interesting. Um, the synoptics are from the ground up, gradually revealing the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, while um, John tells the story from heaven down. And it starts, in the beginning was the Word, the eternal Word, the eternal Son of God, and He became flesh. So, um, they read Matthew, Mark, and Luke again. They want to, like, take a, a book that has each one of those stories from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and compare them. I don't think that's bad, necessarily. But I think the danger is... The portrait of Matthew, the portrait of Mark, the portrait of Luke is destroyed when you do that sometimes. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like they are individual gospel writings with a message. And you take the message apart by trying to compare all these details and don't allow, then the message is not clear anymore. That makes sense? So. Okay. What are you thinking? Vin, you had something to say? I'm just messing with him. I'm just messing with him. But at first I thought he was looking at, oh, yes, okay, I got you. Yeah, Stephanie, you got to watch out. But, um, but I, I was, uh, I did, at first I thought he was going to say, hold on just a second, I got a question about that. Okay, so the book of Acts, when you're looking at it, um, again, you can read Luke and Acts. There's a, they're very closely uh, tied together. I mean, they're written to the same person, and so, uh, and, and they kind of, the book of Acts legitimizes uh, the, the God's work in the world, like Jesus dies, he rises again, and then he, he's commissioning his people, and then you watch that commission unfold as the gospel goes out and the power of the Spirit, the disciples go and proclaim uh, the message, and so when you read it, sometimes it's, uh, you've heard people um, talk about it this way, but I think it's important. One, I think you notice like the speeches that are given where the message of the apostles comes clear. And the other thing that you do um, is you, you say to yourself like there are things about this narrative that are not necessarily like everything here is going to be repeated. It's more of a, um, I mean, there's people would say a lot of variety in the way things happen. So some people will be, look at the book of Acts and say, well, like this happened this time, so this should happen in our church every time. And then this happened, and this should happen in our church every time. And then sometimes there's whole churches built on this specific thing happened, and it should happen every time. This specific thing happened, and it should happen every time. And then they build their whole theological framework on one story in the book of Acts that may not be repeated in that way. For instance, like a conversion may not be repeated in the same way 
every time. Just it's a series of narratives, and at the heart of it is to defend, um, in a way, the whole movement of Christianity and how that happened, and help you understand what the message of the apostles were, and um, see that kind of unfold. Okay, keep moving. The epistles. So again, we kind of looked at the history, um, kind of slash narratives that are on display, the wisdom, poetry, um, and then the gospels, and now the epistles. With the epistles, uh, we, we're, um, it, they are letters. There are letters written by Paul, 13 of them, three by John, two by Peter, one by James, one by Jude. And um, when you read the letters, what they, oftentimes you'll hear people say something like, well, you got the Pauline letters and the general letters. And then within Paul's letters, there are sometimes it's to a specific person, sometimes to a specific church, and sometimes it seems more general, like it's not addressing a particular issue. So you're reading a letter, and you're saying, like, I can, I'm pretty, I can be pretty uh, clear about the fact that when I read a letter, there's an author and there are recipients. And the letter has an occasion. There's a reason. Something has stirred that person to write it. And sometimes it will be very explicit. I mean, very, very clear. When you're studying some, um, the epistles, you know you're, it's after Jesus' events and ascended into heaven. They're looking back on all of these events. They, as a result, um, they are like very, very in- instrumental in the formation of Christian theology. And um, they're helping, under, you know, like flesh out like the faith and, and, and practice, I mean, in a, in a very clear way. They're going to cite a lot of Old Testament um, and, and other places in the New Testament do this too, but you, they'll have a, a citing of Old Testament things and then helping you see that being fulfilled um, before your eyes. So you're always kind of thinking in those terms, and you're trying to, again, get into the context, understand it, understand that it's a letter, look for the purpose of the letter, and allow it to kind of unfold and be built upon. Sometimes it's a really, really, uh, you know, clear, articulated, like point-by-point, almost structured uh, argument, and other times it's not. But I think it's just important... At the heart of it, you're looking at a letter, and you are asking those questions that we've talked about, who, what, when, where, why, and how, and you're just unpacking that um, step by step. The next uh, genre would be the prophetic and apocalyptic literature. And this is, this is lots of information. It's okay, but just be like, oh, you're wearing me out. I'm tired. Lots of information. It's okay, but just stop for a moment and think about with... With your prophetic books, I mean, th- th- I'm telling you, this helped me so much a number of years ago when, when I heard someone say, the prophets are foretelling and foretelling. That helped me tremendously. But what does that mean? Yeah, they're like foretelling, like, just F-O-R-T-H, telling and foretelling. 
So foretelling would be like um, you're walking in sin. Like right now. That's what it would just be like. Very direct. It, uh, what they'll do is they'll take the law. On here, you're in sin. Like, do you not see what's going on here? Are y'all not aware? Like, I'm not honored by this. God using the prophet to speak very clearly. Boom. But then there's that foretelling element where they are talking about either like the future impending doom, judgment, or the future hope. And oftentimes they're going to do both. So they're going to like capture the situation right then. They are going to call it out clearly. You have broken covenant. You have abandoned God's law. And then there's going to be this foretelling element where they're going to say, as a result of this, you're going into exile. But then again, like oftentimes even at the end, but guess what? You're coming out of, of, of exile and you're going to enter into the land and it's going to be glorious. And they're going to give this hope of not just that generation's future, but of an eternal future. So when you read the New Testament, they'll pick it up and say, hey, guess what? It's fulfilled today. This was fulfilled. You remember Joel in the book of Acts, Peter said, it's fulfilled. So there's foretelling, addressing the issue, foretelling, which is looking to the future, which, which may be just hope that's to come. Okay, so I think that's something that would be really, I mean, it's really helpful for you. Um, you'll notice in, in these notes that, that there's interpreting the prophets, some, some things to help you consider when, you, when you're doing that. Um, also, let we, let's talk about apocalyptic literature just for a minute, uh, which is something that's difficult. I mean, people uh, write about... Uh, uh, apocalyptic literature a lot like revelation and there are certain groups their whole ministries or they have whole ministries built on that where they talk about like apocalyptic literature like the again the book of revelation or the end of daniel and they will talk about all these things some like do newscast every day so that you can understand in light of what just happened somewhere in the world like what that means for right now kind of, okay. So, apocalyptic literature, just for us to kind of understand it and think about it. Um, I've heard it described as like a child's picture book. And it ha again, it has these marvelous pictures uh, that, that when you see them, you know what they mean. This beautiful picture and you're like... <gasps> That's astonishing. This horrible picture and be like, this is scary. Right? Lightning and thunder going across the page. It's like, like there's something. Be, like, it's, this is shaking the foundations. It's frightening, but at the same time, like, it, it just shows me that, some, you know, for instance, in Scripture, it's like judgments come. 
And then it will show you pictures like the new heavens and the new earth in your life. So the revelation, this apocalyptic literature is written in that way and it, it is these kind of horrifying pictures at one level and like imaginative figures that blow your mind at, at, at another kind of point and all of that stuff. And I think that's really important to know. If you'll just back away and look at the pictures that are being painted, you can get a sense of what is going on. Also, uh, this type of literature was common in the New Testament era, that time period in the first century. And so it wasn't that odd for them. The reality is for some of you, it's not that big a deal for you. Because you read that kind of stuff. You're like, Tolkien, Tolkien, why couldn't he have lived longer and written another Lord of the Rings type you know, book or whatever? And when you watch that, even if you were to mute it, if you were just to watch those pictures unfold, you would know what it was kind of talking about at some level. You would see these major themes. You would see great wars. You would see great victory. And you would see, you would see these, this little group of people moving through as a little band. And you would see ultimately through all the tra travail and the difficulty and the frightening things that are going on around them, they come out. They come out victorious on the other side. They're rescued from that impending doom. When everything seemed to be lost, there was victory at the end. All of their enemies crushed and them standing there completely. You don't like read Revelation that way. I think sometimes it makes it really hard because you want to pick it apart instead of seeing the big chunks. So, I, and I think about the Revelation, I, I really do, I really do. When I think about the Revelation, um, it is one of the most hope-filled books for me. If I need to not be frightened by this present age and or enticed by it and gain perspective on the hope that I have, I can reflect on the revelation. It always brings me back. Okay, so those are some helpful things about that. Um, it is important to note in, in some of these books, there's, ult there's multiple genres, so you have to kind of figure out, like, over time, you, you're able to spot that. You'll see, like in the book of Revelation, you'll have, you know, epistle-type letters, and you have prophetic things, you have apocalyptic things, and uh, that, that kind of uh, helps you. So, hopefully, that kind of stuff will help you as you read your Bible. I hope it really, really helps you. Uh, like I said, we've went through, kind of looked at the inductive Bible study method. We've looked at kind of some of the lenses that you look through to help you kind of work through the text, and then we talked about genre. So next week, I think we talk about different tools you can use uh, to help you discover those things better. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you would um, give us greater and greater clarity as we seek to understand what you have said in Christ's name. Amen.